let's let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word and for this time. In your son's name, amen. We're in Philippians chapter 3. Um, it's sort of um, it's a strong passage. It's a passage that has one difficult verse in it that people go, huh? And so sometimes you might not hear Philippians 3, you hear Philippians 4 a lot. But it's like in the end of Philippians 2, Paul is coming in for a landing, it seems like. There are some greetings and some personal explanations at the end of chapter 2. And he says, he says at the beginning of chapter 3, finally, my brethren, and he's going to wrap it up. But uh, Paul goes, two more chapters. Uh, with some very beneficial things, things that you can find yourself using and referring to a lot in, in the scriptures, in your, in your life. Philippians is one of those pleasant books where you kind of think that the Philippian church was actually a decent bunch of believers because he doesn't have to chew them out at all. It's just sort of, hey, let's, let's be agreeable about this. Now, in Philippians 3, and we take this through the whole chapter down to the first verse of chapter 4. Uh, we'll stop there. But uh, it starts off with this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not irksome to me, and it is safe for you. The verse that every pastor can go to when you hear him preaching something you've heard before. Well, hold it, I've got a verse for that. To write the same things to you is not difficult. And it's safe for you. But apart from how we would... How did you hear that phrase, that first one, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Is it, hey, you know, I keep mentioning the idea of God words or God phrasing that Christians, there's a glossary. There's a glossary of terminology that, that you can pick up and you can talk about things like fellowship and, and what a blessing it is. You can't, just, you can't just have a good time, it has to be a blessing. Oh, it's just such a joy. A sweet, sweet, sweet fellowship. Oh, you know, you could talk like that and lose what sweet, sweet, sweet fellowship might actually mean or what rejoice in the Lord might mean. Now, because we're going on to verse 2 and following and giving that his point is being in the Lord as discreet from something else, we only want to go back to that instruction and say when he says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord, more as a title for what he's about to do to you what he's about to engage you in, which might answer a lot of reasons why a lot of believers are not rejoicing in the Lord, not just not rejoicing, and they wonder why. All the Christianity they can front load into their lives, they've got, I mean, they've got a t-shirt with a, some Christian graphic on it. They might have the fish symbol on the car. They might go to every seminar offered. They might be really involved in all the programs of real churches, you know, churches other people go to, they have programs. So you're being denied here the opportunity to be a decent Christian. 
we don't have any programs. Though, we'd like to have someone, the Morrows left town, back to Annapolis, Maryland, to run the retail shop for the Naval Academy, and they cleaned the church, by the way. Um, so if anybody wants to volunteer to clean the church, you know, once a, I don't know how often they did it, once a month. As needed. As needed. So keep that in mind if you're looking for, hmm, I wonder if I could end up in Christian work. Vacuuming. Now the reason I, that was just an aside, it didn't tie into the sermon much at all. I want you to think what you mean by rejoice. What do you mean when you say rejoice? It's a instruction. What do you mean by in the Lord? Because the next, not the next verse, the next verse lets you know that he's already covered this quite a bit. Maybe the time he spent teaching in Philippi. And meaning also that if you don't realize the importance of this being repeated to you time and again, hurt is the opposite of being safe. So the church, your lives, by not listening to this teaching, not stepping away from what he tells you to step away from, consider yourself forewarned that you're going to walk into a dangerous circumstance. To write these things, it is safe, easy for me, not irksome, and it's safe for you. So not hearing it regularly might mean I'm going to get hurt. Now what happens here, very early in the church, and one of the things that you have heard me say before, that the early church, that a lot of people go, let's go back and imitate the early church. Because the early church guys are going, don't do what they're doing over there. Don't do that. A lot of early church experiences are bad. Have to be corrected. Don't think you can go back 1900 years and find better Christianity. You can find better Christianity in better Christians. Whether you find them in 1940, whether you find them in the year 40, or just around the corner. But they have to be better Christians. It's not a, a chronological uh, thing. He says, look out for the dogs. In red, bold and in red. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil workers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now Paul, what's that argument form that I've used before, Evan's bludgeon? It's like he comes on with the bludgeon. He's calling his, the people he's negative about, dogs. Evil workers, mutilators of people. This just sounds like a pretty awful situation. But he's really talking about the Judaizers, the people that are expecting Christians to get circumcised. Verse 3, for we are the true circumcision. He said, watch out for those, what I'm going to call dogs here, nothing better than workers of evil who mutilate fleshly bodies. He says, but we're different. A true circumcision who worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No, I want to stress that word, no, confidence in the flesh. As I was thinking about the passage, I was going, okay, well, how, do you, how do you phrase this in a way, we don't have this particular theological battle going on, because 
Jewishness has lost all of its cachet about, oh, 1800 years ago, and uh, the temple no longer stands, and, and circumcision is not that big a deal, it might be a medical thing, but nobody really thinks about it in a religious sense, except some wacky groups in Appalachia. But, uh, so what are, how are we going to apply this? How do you... What these guys are doing, what the, I call them resume dogs, because it sort of echoes that Reservoir Dogs movie, resume dogs. These are religious people who are looking at your resume. Tristan was telling me earlier that the companies he's interviewing with have a certain expectation of grade point. They're looking at resumes, look at transcripts, you know the drill. Now Paul is basically making a distinction between what resume dogs do to create a fake Christianity whose confidence is in fleshly performance issues. And he, Paul says, but we're not that way. We worship God in spirit. Now, I've been in Christianity a while. And I've heard in recent decades an awful lot of talk about worship. Now, I don't mind. I'd love to sing good hymns. Other churches sing worship songs. My daughter's church has a hot band that really cranks it out and people really like it. God bless them. Ours isn't worship. Theirs isn't worship. I don't care how you feel and how many hands you stuck in the air. You ain't worshiping. Because in Christ, we worship in spirit. Not that you can't do. We praise God physically. We certainly put things... We get together with a center aisle and we enjoy good music about our Lord. Whatever kind of music you prefer. Everything we really are does wash over into the physical world. Your faith will have works. Your spiritual worship will have a phenomena of physicality attached to it. But what happens when the resume dogs take over is they measure the worship, the collateral effect, whether or not you're doing the thing. Because their confidence is in the flesh. Into verse 3. We put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in just the circumstance of religion I find myself in, even if it's the right one. Because Paul then says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also. He's saying it's not wrong to have things in your life that you could be if you were about your resume. Have I ever told you that years ago, I think I did, I've done this, but you might have missed it, it being in a sermon and all. But we were going to do a um, film series on my father's book, Principles of War. And uh, my brother and myself and Dave Tong, I think, and this is way back. Um, and so we were told to, we were trying to raise money for it, so we were told to put together a 
portfolio and a presentation package where we wrote up our qualifications. Now, I was young, but boy, after I had written up my qualifications, I looked like I walked on water. Not because I said I walked on water. I didn't say that. But it sounded like when you list everything you've done, have you ever looked at your resume? And you kind of want it to do this, right? Where it just looks like, man, this guy's, this guy's a flippant genius. He has designed this. He has designed that. He has worked with the universities of Idaho and WSU and promoting their, ah, oh, I, I sounded great. I sound like I couldn't, I couldn't even touch a crayon that was beneath me. I knew what I was doing in terms of graphics. And it wasn't not true. But you know, some people start to live out their resume. Live out of their resume, lead with their resume, consider themselves the sum total of the points on their resume, not the bastard they really are, but just who they've decided to, you know, what boxes they could check off. Paul's able to go back and look at his life. He says, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Beat that. Now, I'm not a Hebrew, I'm a Scot, better than Hebrews. The tribe of Gun. What kind of zeal have you trotted out? What activities have you done to prove how zealous you are? Paul was zealous into persecuting the church. It's really the zealousness he wants you to see. I mean, we think the persecution of the church was a sin. He knew it was a sin too. But he's saying, as to zeal... You want to see my zeal? You want to see my resume for zeal? Now some people think that zeal like that, that I can put on a resume, is a good thing. Now, it recommends zeal at various points, but as to zeal, sometimes the physical actions, the confidence in the flesh, that distinction, that I can trick myself out to be a certain thing to the body. Oh, he's really righteous. He, did you know he goes door to door evangelizing twice a week? And did you know that when he prays, he doesn't stop praying till he sweats blood? Well, I didn't know that. Sounds pretty godly to me. Confidence in the flesh. You can have all sorts of things that ratchets you up. And Paul, when he's forced to think about it, he says, you know, when I think about it, I, I've got some confident things that I could put out there. there we're, this morning we're not saying, you know, have no resume. Have no effect in your physical life of the things you believe. But there are people in this world who are resume dogs, and that's how they run the church. That's how they run life. And you're a person who has an almost an accidental, an avocational resume. Life is the thing that proceeds from who you are. That you have chosen to worship God in spirit, glory in Christ, the true circumcision, and choose to have no confidence 
in the phenomena that comes of it. You are going to have effects. You may be going door-to-door evangelizing every week, but you're not putting any confidence in the fact that you do so. Nor do you want anybody else to think of you that way. How often do new groups start up when some guy finally gets around to doing some fleshly observance of his religion and he sees what a good thing it is for him and so he starts leaning on others to do the same thing. Memorize scripture, whatever it is. Evangelism, you got to do that. Quiet time, I got to go do my quiet time. I think, as you know, I am a laissez-faire Christian. You fix the heart, you do the right things. You fix the heart, don't worry about the things. They get done because your faith pushes you towards the word of God. Your faith takes you to God on your knees to ask him for things. Your faith makes the scriptures memorable. But watch out for the dogs, evil workers, who mutilate the flesh, who are looking for you to toe up to a line of physical performance in religious circumstances. And in case you don't know, I'm not talking about business resumes here. Okay? You get, fine, go ahead, get a good education, good transcripts, have a good resume. But we're talking about the thing the, the religious lay out there and start to measure us by. But verse 7 was, Paul, was Paul's replacement. But whatever gain I had, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever profit, that's what gain is, whatever profit those things brought, I look at it, my mental category that I put that in is a category of loss. You ever do your own taxes on TurboTax? They have profit and loss statements, right? He's telling you, take this profit, this warm and cozy feeling you have of everybody in the church thinking well of you, and carry it over to here and consider it loss. Because you've got something else that you want there. You want to have a frame of mind. This is talking about not escaping the the phenomena that you do in the church. The good things you do for each other. It's about escaping your categories for them. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's stressing this. The sake of Christ. Surpassing surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, I count everything. I count it as loss. Those gains. I counted everything as loss for the gain. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. He repeats himself three times on that. Using that word, loss. Count of loss. Everything as loss. Suffered the loss. And count it as refuse. Just in case you were, well, can't I just kind of put it on a shelf of honor in my den? I mean, yeah, I'm going to count it no longer as the profit, the gain. But I want to go put it in a place of honor. You know, just in my man cave. (coughs) 
Again, it's not that it's not honorable. It's not that it's not worth being. Being a Hebrew of Hebrews, people of Israel, circumcised on the eighth day, zealous, righteous, not a problem. Being really involved in your church, say this church allowed you to be. Bringing friends, being, being part of a, a, a vibrant Bible study situation, whatever it is you're doing. All those things are good. They are the collateral physical effect of religion. God bless you. But Jesus Christ himself, not the collateral effects, not the credits that you can claim, not the look that you know you bear. Oh, these temptations are so easy with their inside religion. It's not like, here's a bottle of vodka, let's go get wasted. You say, ah, oh, I don't have that problem. They thank you, but no. We don't fall for those obvious things. We like our temptations church-contained so that we can be out of fellowship with God but still in massive fellowship with the church. Somehow, we have got to put this in a different category. And as to that category, it's garbage. Now, the word here is for garbage, refuse. Refuse is really, it's RSV, I apologize. It might not be adequate. I looked it up just before I came down here. I said, what word is used here? Why, it's the word for animal droppings and garbage. Real refuse. Not the refuse that they're sorting down at the recycling center. Not the almost worship for garbage that the recycling type people are into. Not the kind of, we have those plastic hefty cinch bags in our kitchen. Because then you can look at garbage and suddenly it disappears and you pull the ties, tie it shut, and then in a sanitized way, now I have to go out the front door because the back door is off limits, walk all the way around to the garbage can and drop it into a plastic thing that is carried off by a big truck every week. This is not antiquity, folks. And forever, anything else, we find ourselves civilized human beings sorting our garbage. And you know that that's my policy. A gentleman does not concern himself with garbage. But they charge you per amount for garbage. This is past that. This is micro's dirty jobs. This is hauling yourself down into a sewer with a shovel. And that's what he considers your resume. That's what he considered his resume. Not because it was bad to be zealous, righteous according to the law, a Pharisee, a Hebrew. It wasn't bad. I mean, he did bad things with it, but let's just consider the, the, the braggy part of it. Whatever you would put forward of the flesh, he is saying your confidence should not be there. Your confidence should be in Christ, so much so that your confidence makes the other earthly confidence look like trash, so that you consider it, if you compared it, as garbage. Shoveling manure. 
I count them as refuse in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Now look at this next thing he describes. As a surpassing worth. Something that it's hard to recommend to Christians because it's calling them on to something mystically actual rather than any kind of thing you could sign up for. Because I know that if we said, okay, circumcision's half price this weekend, and you really got to push people, or baptisms, or involvement in a thing, you get a t-shirt, maybe in a free pizza lunch. Whatever it is, we can round up Christians to do it. As soon as you locate it as something in their resume that's going to improve things, we're being asked to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Surpassing worth. So when he describes it, right there after refuse, it's, I count it this way in order that I might. So it seems that you might want to, in terms of moving to this mystical kind of Christianity, worshiping God in spirit and glorying in Christ Jesus, you have to kick off the, 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 the bear trap on your foot of resume enhancement, religious resume enhancement. I have to count this that way in order that I might. In order that I may gain Christ. I have to count that. I'm not too sure whether or not I haven't thought enough about it. Whether or not that if I didn't think about the resume and just went on to gain Christ, if I would realize that the resume didn't matter. But Paul seems to suggest to you that I suffer a loss of all things, I count them as garbage in order that I might gain. I, it's like making room in the storage facility. Honey, I've got all these old, you know, National Geographic magazines. Can't bring myself to throw them away. Everybody have that curse when they were young. Those of us who remember National Geographic, it was a magazine. You don't know what a magazine is? It's a simply bound monthly periodical. And parents would collect them and you'd have, we had National Geographic's back, I think, to the Bronze Age. People couldn't throw them away. But eventually you need to get rid of those National Geographic's. And I can remember going through National Geographic's and cutting out the pictures I wanted. Which is dumb, because I don't have those pictures anymore. But, but you had to make room for something. And you have to make room for the Lord here in order that I may gain Christ. This thing recommended glorying in Christ Jesus, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. That's what he's talking about. But he, he expands it a bit. Look at the words he uses. And be found in him. Gain him. Be found in him so that, in other words, if anyone was looking for where you are, this would be how they would describe it. Well, you know, I, I don't know if he's Presbyterian or Methodist or what, but he sure is a Christian. You know, the guy, the guy seems like Jesus. 
Is that where they're going to be? Is that where they're going to find you? Be found in Christ. Described as not having a righteousness of my own based on the law. Because when you're a religious resume dog, you um, do exactly that. You're looking for the the things you prop yourself up in the reputation of yourself up by what you do. You look for the right laws to obey. But I don't have that kind of righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Knowing that that big key thing between Old Covenant and New Covenant is my holiness by the law or is holiness by faith in Christ. Where the law is written on my heart. But he doesn't stop there. There's a lot of boldy stuff through here. You've got to keep bolding things because, oh my gosh, that too. That's important too, and that's important too. Verse 10, that I may know him. So it's not just gain, be found in, share in his holiness by the path that he wants me to share in it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the difficult verse. But let's skip over for the moment the difficult aspect of it. Look at what Paul is saying. Religion will always have that corporatist resume paths that people can take. What do I do to balance the ledger of my known unhappiness and misdeeds? I will do thus and such for the church. They used to do it in the Middle Ages by donating enough money to build a monastery and then the monks would pray for your benighted soul for X number of years, lighting candles for you. We had one, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, we had one situation where a rich woman, this was back when we met at Avalon House, um, offered to help build a church for us. She had the money. She just needed a bit of control. It was good to turn her down. People want religion to be a measurement of them. To the point where they, in circumcision arenas, they will mutilate the flesh. At another point, Paul says, I wish those who would unsettle you would mutilate themselves. People become very, very, very convincingly religious. You do know that people who are martyred for Jesus Christ, well, I think they're honored. Paul was martyred for Christ. People have been martyred for other religions. People care enough for Allah or Shiva or any other god you might want to drag up and they will die because it's one of the most nice things to put on a resume. But Paul is approaching all of this as an aspect of how do I, how do I get to a place where I'm in the Lord? 
The church is going to offer all sorts of collateral benefits. Being in the Lord will create some of those collateral benefits, but they are a temptation to us to think of them instead of thinking of gaining Christ. One of the things I noted on the... I'm trying to remember if it was the hymn, David... Was it 53, Dave, the words? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. And that's what the whole thing is about it. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Um, And in verse 4, I think we mentioned it already. Weak is the effort of my heart, and cold my warmest thought. But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. We have a task that singing a song is one of the resume things. Singing a song well in church is is praiseworthy, right? It goes right on your resume. I sang the tenor part of this hymn, and everyone noticed. Well, it's great for the saints to sing this hymn and sing the tenor part well. We're such... We have to learn to count it differently. That's what he said. I count it a loss. It's there. There's no denying you're going to get together. You're going to sit in rows. You're going to sing some songs. Some people are going to do it well. You're going to go to a church that they do it well enough that in enough of the areas you're enjoying yourself and praising this God with your rest of the saints. Those things happen. Where's your mind at? Is your mind still in him? Because there are the resume dogs out there who will mutilate you. Who want to take you away from this. Where you share in his sufferings. Want to share share in his sufferings. We were talking last night I think. About war movies. And uh, I had mentioned the movie 300. Story of the 300 at Thermopylae. Spartans. A lot of you have seen it. Very violent, violent movie. Done so well that by the end you're willing to die with the Spartans. By the end, you can understand the guy who has to go back, the guy who's blinded, and he has to go back. And you can understand why he doesn't want to leave. He'd know if he, if, he, if he doesn't leave, he's dead. But he wants to stay. Better to die with these. That's the level that Paul is getting to in his understanding of what Christ did. These hymns, what was the one you requested, God? What number was it? 332? My Jesus, I love thee. Um, I always like that line in the fourth verse and say, When the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. What a great picture. That's that's a middle 1800s view of death. Everybody gets to sit around and watch you go cold. With With the perspiration of dying. And then you're saying, if ever I love Jesus, here's where I love Jesus. What have we... 
Can we put meaning, traction under these words when he goes, that I may gain Christ, be found in him with the righteousness that depends on faith, to know him, to know the power of his resurrection, and to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Don't get confused by how that last line bothers you. Be concerned that you might not measure your faith that way. Is it about you gaining Christ? And you say, well, Evan, you can pound the pulpit all you want about not getting distracted by the difficult verse. You've got to do something with the difficult verse. Eventually, we'll, pay, we'll be patient. We'll wait here. Now, this is what, as I look at it, you can consider other ideas, read some commentaries if you want. Because he comes out of it saying to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, it seems that that's the prereq for sharing in this resurrection. And like he said, to be, become, I've noticed the power of his resurrection, and if I suffer and I die like him, I perhaps can share in the resurrection. Now, not that the only people that get raised and go to heaven are those that suffer in the, the Colosseum or crucified or something like that. But he's probably thinking along those lines into what resurrection he is speaking of. Um, and not meaning to throw you way out of context, but the book of Revelation speaks of those... Let me see if I can find it very quickly... Uh, there is the uh, millennium you've heard of that um, I saw thrones this is chapter 20 and seated on them were those to whom judgment was committed also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So Paul may be looking at his, if he's able to suffer for Christ, and die in, in, a, in a martyr's death like Christ, he will be part of that first resurrection. That may be it. That if possible, I may share in that resurrection. Because the other resurrection is not for a thousand years later. It's only the martyrs. Only those who have died for Christ. That's an idea. You can feel free to counter that with another, but uh, that's my handling of it right now. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect. He's looking at that, that code. Gain Christ. Know Christ. Be found in Christ. Be righteous in faith in Christ. That's the description of the Christian life. The description of the church life is merely collateral effects of what kind of Christians are in it. 
But we don't ever want to run the Christian life like it was a collection of Christian resumes in the church. Even Paul saying, I haven't obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is not, I was thinking, I even wrote it down here. In Russia, you don't write your resume. The resume writes you. In Christ, you don't write your own resume. Your resume has a functional personality. He has a sentience, an activity in you. Because when it's no longer confidence in the flesh, but worshiping God in spirit, the spirit is someone who's really doing something. I, I know a lot of Christians who forget with some regularity that, uh, that God is active. The Holy Spirit has baptized you in his power. That Christianity is about that. John baptized you with water, but one is coming after that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. Oh, that's us. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus has made us his own. He has stepped in and said, okay, this is not the kind of thing that you're just left to try to find a mountaintop in the Himalayas someplace where you can sit cross-legged and reach a state of oneness with all. No. This is a place where you're meeting someone because you are gaining him. Not a religion, gaining him. Found in him. Righteousness depending on faith in him. Knowing him some more. And what he did in history. Getting to know the Lord. Christ Jesus has made you his own. This is not theology. This is not even practical church growth. This is not evangelism. This is you and him. Brethren, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I do. Taking this piece of information, if I walk through Philippians 3, I would say, okay, there are things over here that may be good or bad or indifferent that are fleshly observances of religion that I can be distracted by, I can be caught up in performance. The resume dogs want to sell that to me. I have to count them not as profit but as loss because there, because there is something far more central to your Christian life than that. Again, those things are not bad or evil of necessity. I don't have to confess that I got involved in the children's program at church. Dear Jesus, forgive me. You might have to confess if it was the teen program. You know, any youth group involvement, you've got to confess. It's sin. But if you don't confess, I sing in the choir, do I have to confess that? No, just don't make much of it. Enjoy it. Let it be collateral. But Paul is saying, even I haven't reached this place where all of this, you might say, would lay out in front of you, maybe in your old age, if you start today to be looking at it this way. I want to gain Christ. I want to, I want to have that feeling Paul had. But because I looked at the glory and the power of his resurrection, 
And because his resurrection and his death was so magnificent, such an answer to so many things, I want to stand there with him. I want to die if he grants me this for the kingdom. We press on forgetting what lies behind. Now, you know the difference between braggarts and modest people? Both of them could be doing great things. But just because someone's a braggart doesn't mean they can't do stuff. They might have a great resume that they want to tell you all about. Paul had a great resume. He could spend his time telling them about it. He could be proving on the back of the books he published. Paul, a graduate of Princeton University. Well, you love to put that on there, right? We covered this last week, right? The people who love to be called rabbi. The best seats of the synagogue. Um, somebody asked me this week, does this apply to other titles as well? Pastor? I said, yeah, it does. Then my favorite son, Gunn, said, then why do you have Pastor Evan Wilson on your sermon notes every week? Sinner? He didn't say sinner. So this morning it says Evan Wilson, comma, Pastor. <laughs> Got to, got to obey, okay? So, there's that. Here's tricky. Sin is tricky. We don't look back at what... We, we want to be pushing on to this. And look at how it describes. Forgetting the behind, straining forward, pressing on, and the first goal, prize, upward call... Christ Jesus. Think of those terms. Break it apart. It's a sentence. Do I have a goal? And in that goal, is there a reward, a prize? And what is that prize? It's this upward call, this idea of Christianity lived this way. Where each one of you, each one of you, is the most natural kind of Christian that nobody could I want to start a group in town called the Christians. And I don't all go to this church. I just want to have them know that I'm a Christian and that I know that they're a Christian. That's all I want. That this is what it means. Far more than what we do in this church as a religion, what they do in their church as a religion, that they are after the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because, let those of us who are mature be thus minded. In case you were wondering who it is that's uh, thinking this way. The smart Christians. The adult Christians. And so many are not. And if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal that also to you. Growth is part of this. You'll You'll get things figured out, but this thing just got figured out for you. This thing got front-loaded to you and said, hey, I haven't even gotten to the end of this, but hey, let's all be thinking this way. Let's all be moving this way. Watch out for the dogs. 
They're going to drag you back into religion. Let us hold true to what we have attained, verse 16. So our responsibility is that fleshly confidence, all the things that are extrapolations of life that may be to your credit, religious things, I have to count them differently. They've got to kind of be demoted in my mind into a, instead of being constantly looked for to add importance to my life, I'm looking for a way to make them not as important to my life. I count them differently. And forgotten. He just told you that in verse 13. Christian confidence, you count him as a surpassing worth. And remembered and held fast. That way he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. I remember what is in my Christian life that is of Christ, knowing Christ, benefiting me in Christ, righteousness in Christ, all those things. I remember those things. I hold them fast, and I count them as a surpassing worth. That's where my sense of value as a Christian is. Now, what, how this helps you out is not just that you're doing it right. That's, you know, there's a satisfaction in that. With that, there's a meme on whatever it is on, on the internet, such and such, you're doing it wrong. And religion, Christianity, they're doing it wrong. This is right. You go, okay, okay, now I know what's right. Now I know what I'm supposed to be about. But in your own life, when Christ and your relationship with him is your center, is what you count as surpassing value, your disobedience your willingness to serve your benighted self so that you can have what you want, when you want it. It's kind of embarrassing to be in that situation. It's like, I don't know if I can come up with a polite illustration. Have you ever been unable to control your gas in a situation where you don't want anyone, and nobody can doubt that it was you. Everyone knows it was you. And what can you say? You feel just shame. Well, if you know Christ this way, sinning in his presence, deciding that I'm going to go be bad right now, I'm going to go be awful. You're standing in an elevator with someone that knows it's you. Brethren, verse 17, join in imitating me. Hmm. This is what he's after. This is what he wants. Now he wants you to think about how are you going to get there? First thing he mentioned is, I count these things not so, so that I can. But he was telling the story all about his own, his own testimony. What he's about in his Christian pursuit. So, Philippians, imitate Paul. Not only that, mark those who so live. The ones who've succeeded at this. As you have an example in us. Because it's important, it seems, that you do this. So look at Paul, and anybody who kind of lives like Paul, 
Mark them because they're examples for you. You need to be doing this. For many, verse 18, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, Paul's on the same page with you when you see those awful Christian ministries that are just shaking people down for dollars. I guess that, who's that comedian, atheist guy, his late night show that did that thing on uh, televangelists? Somebody was telling me the other day that he made it, he defined what Christianity was. And then he looked at Creflo Dollar and whatever else, said, these are not Christians, and then just tore it apart. Paul would be right there with him. They have, in their enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They don't mind breaking wind in the elevator because they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know who they're with. They'll sit around counting up the money. The number of garages, the number of cars. And Paul's saying, even in the first century, it was bad enough to weep over. But our commonwealth is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. This gets back to what he said to know the power of his resurrection. That was one of the things he wanted to know. And our resurrection, changing our body to be like his glorious body, that answers, that is the end of all this. Paul says in Romans 8, he does not yet really understand all that, but the Spirit helps him and prays, interceding for sighs too deep for words. That's where we're, our hearts are supposed to be. A commonwealth not of this world, a kingdom of heaven we didn't extrapolate existed inside these four walls and the programs we started. And what if we were successful? There's a few people here. What if suddenly they became a real, Evan preaching became yeah, trendy? Somebody took a little video in the middle of a sermon of Evan just going to town on something, gesturing mightily. It goes viral. Suddenly people are, have you heard about that church in Moscow, Idaho? No, the other one. <laughs> and pretty soon there are people in the balcony. They have to go to two services. Doesn't make it any more the Christian faith. Even if I have three books out, it doesn't make it the Christian faith. Because suddenly, it could all go to pieces and the Christian faith would stand. Because the Christian faith is not set on earthly things. We do not take confidence in the flesh. We take confidence in our commonwealth in heaven. The power of his resurrection. Now, the reason I put 
the first verse of chapter 4 seem to be the end of the thought. Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Lord, we know that collateral effects, physical things, buildings, ministries, programs, things happen. Things happen in our lives as the expression of the faith we have. Lord, help us be working on the faith we have, the knowledge we have of your Son, to be found in him, in his righteousness, by our faith. Lord, we'd ask that everything we do as a church, from giving to building to witnessing to to helping out, whatever it is, Lord, that it is all coming from each of our walks with your Son, that we would know him, that we would be mature, we would be the Christians. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.